0: We'll be in John chapter 10, and looking at verses 19 through verse 30. John chapter 10, beginning with verse 19. There was a division, therefore, again, among the Jews for these sayings. And many of them said... He hath a demon, and is mad. Why hear ye him? Others said, These are not the words of him that hath a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And it was at Jerusalem the feast of the dedication, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him, and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and ye believe not the works that I do in my Father's name. They bear witness of me, but ye believe not because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father who gave them to me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Shall we pray? Loving Father, we do thank you for your grace and for the ministry of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the teaching of the Word of God. We thank you for the way of salvation. We thank you, Father, that it came through the incarnate Christ, that you sent your only begotten Son into the world to die for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he arose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he ascended to the right hand of the throne of God and there to make intercession for us. We thank you, Father, that all these things being true, of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all those who believe and trust in you are eternally safe and secure in the Father's hand. And so we ask your blessing, Father, upon this message this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we um, come to the text this afternoon, um, I want to look at John chapter 10, verses 19 to 30. And um, I originally gave this message a little bit longer title. Jesus is the Messiah and Savior of his sheep, everlasting and eternal security. But I couldn't put that all on the blackboard, so I just abbreviated it to everlasting and eternally secure. Well, uh, we know that there there is a direct relationship between Christ and his sheep, and of course the... The Pharisees, the religious rulers, or even the multitude did not fully understand this, did they? And so the days of the Messiah, according to the text here, were drawing close, and um, that he would be openly sought after, but for different reasons. And we know that this would cause a division. Uh, the words of Christ, uh, the Pharisees, sought him for one reason. They wanted to be rid of this fellow. And then the, the multitude, the crowd, followed him for various reasons. The, the, the miracles which he did and the fact that the things that he said were very intriguing to them. And there was, uh, therefore, a division. Uh, between the people who heard him speak, and so because of the division uh, that arose, some of them said he has a demon um, for the things that he is doing, and some of them said, "Well, how can one who has a demon heal a blind man? In other words, how can they, how can one who has a demon do the miracles that only God can do?" And so this caused a kind of a consternation among the people. Uh, The first advent of our Lord was to culminate in the signs of messiahship. And of course some of those signs of messiahship was um, the miracles in which he did. And um, we find that uh, it would later come to the receiving of Christ at the triumphal entry. Um, And then we find later on, as the crowd would often switch from one opinion to another, they would reject him under trial and cruel mockings and scourging, and at last they would crucify him uh, in the place of one who was justly condemned, as as we know Barabbas was justly condemned. And so this... um, this particular time of the Lord Jesus Christ was a time of some uh, great division among the the crowd, of the populace, and especially the religious rulers. In the close of this chapter, Jesus answers such questions as who would be able to understand Jesus? In other words... Um, why do some people understand who he is and why do others not understand who he is? But Jesus would answer that question. He would say, he would tell them why some understood and why others did not understand, you see. Uh, The next question that uh, would be posed here was, um, who are my sheep? Uh, See, this often came up to Jesus, especially in John chapter 10, Uh, likens himself as the good shepherd of the sheep and he likens those who were not uh, so inclined to be good shepherds as hirelings or even as a wolf that might come and catch the sheep and uh, put them in jeopardy but the good shepherd always cared for the sheep and so the question is who are my sheep and uh, so it was uh, an important question that he would, he would seek to answer for them. And then another question. Or the last question that he might pose here. Would be how secure are my sheep? Uh, are my sheep my sheep? Are they really mine? And if so. Do they remain my sheep? Uh, would Would there be a relationship. An abiding relationship then. Between the sheep and the shepherd. And of course Jesus would confirm that he would say yes there is an abiding relationship between the shepherd and the sheep and it is so abiding that it cannot be broken it is everlasting and it is eternally secure that relationship and so um, because Jesus is the true Messiah of God only his true sheep can know that he came as the Savior. Therefore, should we know that we will ever be saved or are safe and made secure as his sheep? And so that's a very great question for the sheep to know and to, to realize. And so here as we look at the... Um, the three areas we 're going to be looking at, and again, I have um, summarized these statements, first of all, understand the message of the Messiah. There were many who wanted to understand the religious rulers wanted to understand the the, the populace, the multitude wanted to understand, but there was a difficulty in understanding and so Understanding the message of the Messiah was a difficult one. We'll look at that a little bit. Secondly, only a select few would be known as sheep. And so that brings us to the question of why only a select few. But that would be the case. And even today we know that this is the case. That only a select few really understand who Jesus is. In fact, the question is still out there today: Who was Jesus? Is he God, or isn't he God? Could he do the miracles that he did? Can he save? Can he? Is it? Is he the only savior in in the midst of a of, of a great and diverse religious world? Is he the only savior? Is he the only way? You see, uh, but. Only a select few would be known as the sheep. And Jesus points that out. And then lastly, Jesus confirms his relationship with the sheep. And he confirms it by saying that, that they are in my hand and they're in the Father's hand and it is, they are doubly secure. If the veracity of God can be questioned, then there may be some reason to say that the the salvation or the security of the believer is in jeopardy. But we find that God Himself is the one who makes this claim that his sheep are ever, everlastingly and eternally secure. God makes this claim. You see, there are a lot of people today who think they can lose the salvation. There are a lot of questions about eternal security that 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 float around. This particular doctrine is challenged by many. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus and God the Father make this claim. And Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And so it is a very strong affirmation of the eternal security of the believer. Everlasting and eternally secure. And so we want to um, look at this a little more closely. If you would refer to chapter 10, verse 19. As we see here in verse 19, there was a division, therefore, again among the Jews for these sayings. So understanding the message of the Messiah was a problem for all except a very few. And so um, it was at the time of the uh, Feast of the Dedication. And this was about two months after the celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles and Jesus was walking in Solomon's porch so that's kind of like the historical setting of it Um, we know the Feast of Tabernacles took place prior to this this is called the Feast of Dedications we all know what um, the temple was Solomon's temple and this was called Solomon's porch uh, even though at this time, I guess uh, the temple was strictly called maybe Herod's Temple. But uh, this colonnade was called Solomon's Porch, and it was evidently a place where a lot of people gathered and where Jesus took the opportunity to uh, to present himself and to teach. Um, something further on this issue, culturally, it was this... Uh, feast of dedication was instituted by Judas Maccabeus to commemorate the purification of the temple from certain profanations to which it had been subjected by Antiochus Epiphanes in 165 BC. And uh, it was kept for eight days from the 25th Chiselu, which was December, the day on which Judas Maccabeus began the first joyous celebration of it. And this is reportedly in um, not only the uh, Apophrica, but also also recorded in Josephus' Antiquities. Um, and um, it is attested to by tradition. Um, and, and so we recognize that this was a Um, a special feast day, a dedication, a feast of dedication. And um, this is, I think, the only mention of it in the New Testament. The only mention of it. Um, Walwood adds this comment, the feast of dedication is nowadays called Hanukkah. And, um, or we might say the feast of lights, it is commemorated... um, the commemorated the reconstruction of the temple, or reconsecration consecration of the temple. Excuse me, by Judas Maccabeus, as I said in 165 B.C. after its desecration in 168 B.C. by Antiochus the Fourth Epiphanes, the time for the eight-day feast was, as it was been, had been said, in December, and. Uh, it was um, winter it was in the winter and of course their Hanukkah coincides with the traditional Christmas of of even today and we have to wonder why that does that's that way but I'm sure that the Roman Catholic Church had something to do with it along the way but uh, the feast reminded the Jewish people of their last great deliverance from their enemy Solomon's colonnade was a long covered walkway on the east side of the temple two months had elapsed since Jesus' last confrontation with the Jews in chapter 7 um, through 10 of various comments to this fact at the Feast of Tabernacles in chapter 7 and verse 2, which was in October, Jesus again returned to the temple area. And so now that brings us up to John chapter 10 in verse 22. Um, of course, we, it's always good to look at the cultural and historical aspect of things that we might see you know, why things take place the way they do biblically. The question the Jews make was to say, If you are the Christ, why don't you tell us plainly? Why don't you tell us plainly? Verse 19 There was a division, therefore, again among the Jews for these sayings, and many of them said, He hath a demon and is mad. Why hear ye him? Others said, These are not the words of him that hath a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And it was at Jerusalem, the feast of dedication, and it was winter, Cheselu, that was the name for the month of December, and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch, then came the Jews round about him, and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt, if thou be the Christ, tell us plainly and so we find the the understanding of the message of the Messiah uh, was shrouded by these various circumstances and the people didn't often understand who Jesus truly was Uh, but they did many of them questioned certainly the religious rulers questioned and Uh, This uh, idea of uh, Jesus being the Messiah, of course, was a very difficult fact for many of the religious people to uh, understand. And so the question the Jews make was to say, if you are the Christ, why don't you tell us plainly? This probably included not only the religious rulers and many in the crowd, for there was a division among them, as we already have noted here in the text. Uh, we may wonder why there are many who do not understand who Jesus is, even today. Uh, this division was apparent in Jesus' day, as it also remains in our day. And you may have members of your family, you may have friends, you may have people that you're acquainted with, and you probably have a very great different um Idea among these people exactly who Jesus is. Some may say he was a good teacher. Others may say he was, um, perhaps he was. They say he was a fraud. They may not believe him at all. They may not believe that he was the Son of God whatsoever. They may see him as as just a figure in the Bible, or they may see him as a kind of like a storybook character. And then others will say, oh, I know Jesus. He is my Savior. I trusted him as my Lord and Savior in such and such a year or time period. And they may be what you would call a devout Christian. And so the idea of of uh, this division is nothing new. It was uh, during Christ's day. It was There was this division. And there is a division today as well. Interesting fact is that some may say, "Well, here is Jesus. He's, he's a central figure in the Bible, and um, we know, according to the scriptures, that one comes to faith in Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit." Acts chapter two, John John three sixteen, John chapter three, various passages, um, Acts sixteen thirty one and thirty two. Uh, we, we talk about these various passages that speak of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit is responsible for doing this work among the people that they might know the Lord Jesus. And yet at this particular time the Holy Spirit had not come. So why was man responsible for understanding who Jesus was? All very simple and basic way to look at it is to say this. Uh, The Holy Spirit hadn't been given, but God stood in front of them. God's only begotten Son stood in front of them. God was speaking to them through His Son, through His very own Son, as Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. In these last days, And so we find that the Spirit of God wasn't necessary because God was there himself. Just as in the Old Testament, God was present among his people. Yes, by prophet and priest, but moreover by God's direct revelation to man. God was present among his people. And then God spoke directly through individuals, such as Moses and Aaron and others, the prophets. But here, even though Jesus stood in their very presence, in the presence of the religious rulers, in the presence of the crowd, in the presence of the multitude, and did miracle after miracle after miracle, still understanding the message of the Messiah was a problem to many of them. And we have to understand understand that God makes man responsible for the things that they are given in truth. God makes us responsible to live up to the truth that he has given to us. And so even today we find that the message of the gospel of Christ being given freely in printed page as well as on the digital media or by via the radio or television, or by word of mouth, by witnesses, by the testimony of those who have come to faith in Christ, even also by the fact that God makes us God conscious of him, by natural revelation and special revelation, God holds man responsible for the knowledge that he has been given and so, even today, man is held responsible. Even if man doesn't understand the message of the Messiah, even if they question, even if they are critical, even if they 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 say they bring up all kinds of questions, man is still responsible. There is nothing that uh, negates their responsibility before God to know God, to know his Son, or to know the truth of who Jesus was. And so historically, though we are more than 2,000 years removed from the time that Jesus walked in the Bible days, and of course we have a whole different culture as we live in the 21st century, Yet the same question remains in the hearts of people. Why don't we know who Jesus really is? Why is there still such a division over the person and work of Christ? Was he really God in human flesh? The question still rings plainly then in the ears of, the relig- of religious people and his critics... Is Jesus the true Messiah, Savior? And so you will run into this. You will run into this very thing as you talk to people and as you seek to be a witness to others. You will run into the same uh, question that Jesus was uh, confronting and of of this kind of division that existed even when Jesus... Lived personally in living form as the incarnate Son of God and walked among men, you will run into the same questions. And so it is a good idea to know what the Bible has to say about this subject. And when we come to such answers as what Jesus is going to be giving here, we have to realize that they're entirely sufficient to meet the question head on. That they do not lack. The answers Jesus gives do not lack in any way. We do not have to feel as though that we have to explain something that Jesus didn't explain. Because the heart of man, such as it is, either it will be given to belief of the truth, Or else it will question it and turn away from it. In other words, reject it. And so let us be sure to just give the answers that Jesus gives as plainly and as succinctly as we can. Secondly, only a few would be identified as sheep. Only a few would be identified as sheep and hear his voice and believe that Jesus is both Messiah and Savior. And so these few people, only the select few, would be known as sheep. And we have to see that uh, for what it is. So as we look a little bit further here in the text, uh, let's start reading at verse um, 25. Now Jesus answered them, I told you, and ye believed not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And so in the second um, area that we're going to be looking at here, Uh, Only the select few would be identified as his sheep. Only those select few would hear the voice of Jesus. Only those select few would believe that Jesus is both Messiah and Savior. Now this may seem almost redundant to our thinking. Uh, Those who already know the Lord Jesus as Savior, we may look at this and say, well, Why don't you get this? Why don't people understand this? Uh, Because it seems so simple to our understanding. But this is the answer that Jesus gives. Only his sheep hear his voice. Only his sheep hear his voice. Only his sheep follow him only his sheep are saved and secure everlastingly and eternally and so um, Jesus answered them i told you and ye believe not the works that i do in my father's name they bear witness of me so here is the first thing that he says to them you because you do not believe the works that i do you do not believe The things that I said. And um, uh, probably you have heard many times from different people certain uh, rebuttal to this question about who Jesus is by various uh, comments that they make. They may, may say something like, Oh, I don't believe Jesus is... A savior, because i 'm getting along pretty well all by myself i don 't need any personal savior at all in other words they what are they looking to they 're looking to some human aspect of their own lives some some humanism, or you may have heard something to the effect where they 'll say well um I keep the Ten Commandments and I'm a very religious person and I try to do good to people and uh, I give to the charities and and um, well, I just don't believe in a God that's going to judge me and send me to hell. Uh, I'm doing okay. And so they, they fall to certain religious opinions. One may refer to certain humanistic traits, others may fall to certain religious opinion and say, this is why. Or there may be some other um, argument that they would give, such as a philosophy, or I'm more enlightened, and um, I believe in karma. Or... I believe the earth is, was created by a big bang, not by God. Uh, and so these, um, these psychologies and philosophies of men, which uh, often stand as a reason why people don't believe. They just, it's easier for them to believe something of their own contriving than to believe something that Jesus has said in the Word of God. And so they, they questioned the veracity of the word of God. The sad fact is that they would not believe the things that Jesus told them concerning himself, and they would not believe the things that he did. Referring to the religious rulers. They would not believe it. Though Jesus was doing it presently, right in there, right in there, right in, right there, He was doing it in the same town, as it were, the same locality, whether he was in Galilee or whether he happened to be at Nazareth or whether he happened to be at Jerusalem. Wherever Jesus might have been, he was among the very people that were criticizing him. And still they did not believe that the miracles he did testified that he was the son of God, nor did they believe that... He was anything but a man. And so many people will will use uh, their own uh, kind of critique, if you will, as an argument against Jesus. Jesus spoke plainly enough for those to understand who were willing to hear him. And so this kind of not only goes to number one, but number two as well, the understanding factor. Though Jesus spoke plainly still their own arguments and criticism was too great and uh, that they could not see that only a small group of people would actually believe who Jesus was they thought he should reveal himself more plainly and um, of course that's what they look for if thou be the Christ tell us plainly he says back there in, in verse 24 And uh, we also have to remember here that the group must have somehow discounted who John the Baptist was. Remember, that wasn't so long ago that John the Baptist came preaching Christ. He came preaching the kingdom of God is at hand and that they were to repent because the Messiah was at hand. And he even pointed out Jesus as the Lamb of God. And there was a great multitude of people who accepted the fact that John was a prophet. And so this would even go to the fact that the multitude and the religious rulers discounted much of what John said and did not believe it. John Walvoord in his commentary makes this notation. The Jews gathered around him. Actually, they closed in on him. The idea of gathering around him was that they were, they were really coming in, as it were, closely to him, in close proximity to him. Remember, the religious rulers wanted to capture him. And so they were looking for this opportunity to seize him, if you will. The hostile Jerusalem leaders were determined to pin him down, so they surrounded him. His enigmatic sayings plagued them. They were, they were quite not, they were not couched in the same language that the religious rulers used. Have you ever tried to talk to somebody who was religious and you weren't using their exact same terminology and things? You, you didn't use ceremonial words. You kind of just talked about Jesus and your personal relationship and how that he is your savior. But because you didn't talk about a certain ceremonial things, they couldn't quite understand what you was getting at. Well, um, Jesus didn't use the same jargon that the religious rulers were using. He didn't, he didn't come to them and try to support his, his views through the law of Moses. And in fact, much of what he did went against the, the law that they were purporting. And, um, and so they, they were quite upset with him. Um, also, uh, they wanted him to declare himself on their terms. This is the idea in verse 24 here. If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. They wanted him to declare himself on their terms. Um, remember, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the incarnate Christ. Uh, he, he didn't come that he might bow down to the will of man. He came to fulfill the will of God. He came to complete this, this uh, plan of salvation that God alone had given him to complete. And so we should always be careful about trying to accommodate our language to other people too much. We need to stay as biblically as possible to what the the scripture says about salvation, about who Jesus is, and about what he came to do. And so as we talk plainly about these subjects you will find that those who are more religious won't understand it. They won't understand it just because they don't have the ears to hear it. They'll, they, well, they, wanna, they want the, the words that they are familiar with. And so they want you to accommodate the this idea of salvation to their own religious words. And so... Um, we find that Jesus uh had to confront this kind of thing as he as he talked to them um, also they had the sense that there was something he wanted to say, but they couldn't quite understand it. How long will you keep us in suspense and um that is the sense of what it says in verse 24 at the end. If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. How long will you keep us in suspense? They, were, they wanted to, in their own thinking, they wanted to understand, but they couldn't quite do it. Um, keep us in suspense is the idea here of their, their spirit wasn't getting what Jesus was saying. The Spirit of Man. Well, uh, we know the Spirit of Man, in its natural sense, opposes the Spirit of God. The natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God, and neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. So their Spirit was at odds with his Spirit. And again, who is Jesus? Jesus is God. And so the spirit of God is in him. And so their spirit was at odds with the spirit of God. They couldn't understand it for that reason. Also we find here that even some of their own religious rulers believe that the miracles of Jesus were proof that he was from God. Now remember one of the religious rulers was Nicodemus. He came to Jesus by night. Jesus had this... Uh, Um, interview as it were with Nicodemus um, and Nicodemus even even said in John chapter 3 and verse 2 the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him Rabbi we know that thou art a teacher come from God for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him so even one of their own religious rulers understood that Yes, Jesus was unique, different than others, and the Spirit of God was with him. Uh, but uh, this was, in a sense, this was the um, the minority case. This was a minority case. Um, Nicodemus was in the minority. And so the idea of only a select few would be known as his sheep went against the religious rulers went against the status quo, you might say. We know the status quo is what is accepted, the norm that is accepted. And the religious norm among the Pharisees was you keep the law, you're under the authority of the Sadducees and Pharisees or the Sanhedrin in this case, and you can't break that status quo If you do, then you're going to be in trouble. And Jesus was all about breaking the status quo. Uh, Why? Because it was pretty much corrupt. It was a corrupt religious system. They weren't keeping the law themselves. The religious rulers weren't. Um, They were good at talking about the law, but they didn't keep it. And so it was that... um, they didn't believe the words of Christ. They wanted Jesus to conform to their status quo. And so beware of anybody who says you have to do what I do. That should uh, anyone who is a true teacher of the word of God will say, you need to understand what the Bible says. You need to you need to know what the scripture says. And you, uh, you don't follow the teacher, you follow the scriptures. Because the teacher is teaching what the scriptures say. And so it's okay for you to question the teacher. That is, if you have a question about something, that usually any pastor is willing to talk with you and say, well, um, maybe you just didn't understand what I had to say, but this is what the Bible says about it. And still, if you don't quite understand it, I'll try to give you some other references, and you can look them up and, and read them and uh, let me know what you think. And we can talk some more. Um, and of course, uh, this is where cults usually come from. It's when somebody uh, puts themselves up above the scriptures, basically. And they require people to follow them rather than the teaching of the Word of God. And it usually gets people in a lot of trouble. And so we see here that um, the crowd had many questions and the religious rulers. The unique characteristic of the gospel of Christ is that it be preached by Christ, or his followers. The gospel saves only the many that believe that Jesus is the Christ. I'll just say that again because it's a little might be a little confusing to you. The unique characteristic of the gospel of Christ is that, be it preached by Christ or his followers, the gospel saves only the many that believe that Jesus is the Christ. Um, and this is the kind of the the sense of the select few that we find in the scripture. Is that the gospel as Christ preached it and remember actually Christ is the living gospel at this time in the gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke and John he is the living manifestation of the gospel himself he is the incarnate Christ he is the gospel embodied and he came to fulfill that or ratify that that new covenant in his blood Um now, this this gospel that Jesus stood for and preached of himself, this gospel that you preach also and stand for, um, saves only those who believe in Jesus Christ. You see, and it's a uh, this this is the idea of the whole biblical the biblical truth of the gospel. There is a select few that are saved. And some people might say, well, that's too exclusive. Um, But as much as that end of it is exclusive, the other end of the gospel, the whosoever will, or that Jesus has died for the sins of the world, is is included, is inclusive to everybody. But the, the select part of it, is that one must believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And we should not get hung up on either end of it too strongly. If you're going to preach the gospel, you must include both aspects of it. You must include the whosoever of a will and that Jesus came to die for the sins of the world, and you must include the select aspect of it that uh, only... His sheep hear His voice. Only His sheep follow Him. And His sheep are known by Jesus. You, you must include both aspects of it. You can't, you can't just include one aspect of it and neglect the other. They must be both involved. To be honest to the scriptures... And, and not to misrepresent the gospel. Because you want to be able to reach as many as, as can be saved. And you want to reach as many people as will hear and believe that Jesus is the Christ. And then he goes on to say here in verse 26, he says, But ye believe not because ye are not of my sheep as I said unto you. But ye believe not, because ye are not one of my sheep. So if you turn it around in the other direction, ye are not one of my sheep, therefore ye do not believe. <laughs> or, But both, both ways are true. But of course Jesus is stating it in such a way that it is to imply, if you would only believe, you can be one of my sheep you can be known as one of my sheep. And so the unique characteristic of the gospel of Christ is that, be it preached by Christ or his followers, the gospel saves only the many that believe that Jesus is the Christ. If one does not believe that Jesus is the Christ, he is not one of his sheep then it plainly follows they were not his sheep because of unbelief. That is the reason that the the religious rulers did not believe. It was because of unbelief. And that is why the multitude in Jesus' day did not stay with Christ, did not all become followers of Christ, and that only a select few did. And that is the same reason today that many do not follow Christ is because of unbelief. In fact, and it is generally supposed that unbelief is the only sin that will keep one out of the kingdom of God or keep one out of being, from being saved. Unbelief is the only thing. You might, some might say, well, the impartable sin is to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. And though that is a, a gospel teaching when Christ was upon the earth, and there were many perhaps who that might be alleged toward them because they credited the work of God to the devil, as it were. And they do it even in this text. Some said he had a demon. Well, obviously, those religious rulers that were saying that were actually blaspheming against the Spirit of God. Now, can that be committed today? Well, I think the equivalency of it is that if one will not believe and one rejects, rejects who Christ is, rejects Him as Savior, that it is tantamount to the same thing. To do so, How can one be forgiven and saved if they, will, if they only reject and not believe? And so, only the true sheep believe. Only the true sheep hear his voice. Only the true sheep follow him. Jesus only knows the true sheep. See, this is the second one here. Only a select few would be known as his sheep. And, and so, uh, what does he say in verse 27? What does Jesus say? My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And so, again, these statements sound so, so plain and so, so forthright to us, and we say, uh, oh yeah, I knew that. But understand that Jesus is talking to some people who did not believe that, who did not believe that he was the Christ, who did not believe the things that he was doing was of God. Why? Because they were he was going against the status quo, the ceremonial religious status quo of the day. And for Jesus to do that, it was just too much for them to, to accept. They would not believe. And so the relationship of sheep to the shepherd is one of ownership. Any who would claim to be sheep must know Jesus and he must know them otherwise they are not a sheep. So it is a reciprocal thing. To be known as a sheep you must know Jesus. To be known as a sheep Jesus must know you. It is reciprocal. We must know him he must know us to be true sheep. Walwood makes this statement. Jesus' flock is responsive to his teaching. They listen to his voice. They have an intimacy with Jesus. They understand his message of salvation. And they follow him. To follow him means to obey the Father's will as Jesus did. And so we we come to church, we We listen to the words of Jesus. We listen and then we follow. Um, If we are not willing to hear the words of Jesus and then follow the words of Jesus, how can you call yourself a sheep, you see? And, you know, it's much the same perhaps as as the natural agricultural view of the shepherd and the sheep is. I mean... You have a flock of sheep. The shepherd calls the sheep. And they're supposed to come out from the sheepfold and go out into the pasture. And they stay with the shepherd because they know the shepherd and the shepherd knows them. But what if the scenario is like this? You have a shepherd and he calls the sheep and they don't come. Well, there must be a problem here. I thought you was my sheep, but the sheep don't want to come. They 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 want to either want to stay where they are, and once they're outside of the fold, they won't listen to the voice of the shepherd. And so, um, you know, it is it is a given, then that if one is the owner of the sheep, the, the owner expects the sheep to hear him and to follow him. This, this analogy, of course, is, comes right out of the cultural, historical aspect of their everyday life. And it was so plain and so simple to understand that they were tripping themselves all over the place, not understanding what he was saying. The Believers' Commentary makes this statement: Their unwillingness to receive the Messiah proved that they were not of His sheep. If they had been set apart to belong to Him, they would have shown a willingness to believe Him. Someone has said, "Well, how do you know somebody is saved?" Oh, it's a funny little thing. They show up on Sunday morning. They show up on prayer meeting. They show up on Bible study. They give. They give their money in the offering, and they have great fellowship with the other believers at church. It's a funny little thing like that. But then, if you you have someone who calls themselves a sheep and they don't come on Sunday morning, they don't come to prayer meeting, they don't come to Bible study, they don't give their money in the offering, and they'd rather be home watching Saturday night football than they had coming and fellowshipping with believers. It's a funny little thing like that and you really wouldn't call them sheep. And so we find that there were many who would not consent to these truths that God gives here. Calvin makes a, a clear statement on this matter. He says, my sheep hear my voice. He proves by an argument drawn from contraries, contrary arguments, that they are not sheep because they do not obey the gospel for God effectually calls all whom he has elected so that the sheep of Christ are proved by their faith. And indeed, the reason why the name of sheep is applied to believers is that they surrender themselves to God to be governed by the hand of the chief shepherd and laying aside the fierceness of their nature, become mild and teachable. It is no small consolation to faithful teachers that though the greater part of the world do not listen to Christ, yet he has his sheep whom he knows and, to, and by whom he is also known. Let them do their utmost to bring the whole world into the fold of Christ but when they do not succeed according to their wish let them be satisfied with this single consideration that they who are sheep will be gathered by the Lord the rest will be already explained and so uh, only the select few will be known as sheep only sheep who are sheep will be known as sheep they will hear the shepherd and they will follow The shepherd. It is that simple. It is that simple. Thirdly, um, and I know I'm running over because I'm trying to stick to my outline a little more closely today. (laughs) Um, Jesus confirms his relationship with the sheep. And um, as Jesus affirms his relationship with his own, by indicating that his sheep was safe in his hands and the father's hands so as we look at the last two verses verse 29 and 30 and we can just briefly go over this he says my father who gave them to me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand so reading verse 28 with 29 And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. And uh, the next verse, my Father who gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. So it's like saying, out of the hand of the Lord Jesus, out of the hand of the Father. Um, This double affirmation um, indicates... Uh, as he goes on to say in the, in the verse 30, I and my Father are one. So we act as one, he says, because we are one. That I am God and the Father is God. And that the sheep are everlastingly and eternally secure. And now have we come to this most wonderful affirmation of salvation being secure... And guarded by the power of God to keep us secure, everlastingly and eternally. And um, I think I did put um, Calvin's comment in the inside the cover of the bulletin, and I'll let you read that on your own. It's a pretty good comment concerning this matter, so I won't try to read that again for you. But uh, Calvin does uh, use a very important scripture that we sometimes use ourselves in 2 Timothy 1.12, where he says, For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And so our commitment to Christ is one which is affirmed because of what Jesus has said Jesus has us in his hand he has his own sheep in his hand and God the Father has us in his hand we are doubly secure in the hand of God and that our salvation is secure eternally secure And so the verse is a clear proof that the believer's salvation is secure in Christ. And there is no argument that can overthrow this truth. But of course there are many people who try to overthrow this truth. But it cannot be overthrown. It is as clear and plain as the gospel message is itself. That Jesus Christ died... According to the Scriptures, that he was buried and he arose again according to the Scriptures, and that he ascended and he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, and that Jesus was victorious over sin and death, that his shed blood was for us, and we uh, we have our righteousness then in Christ. Um, many should like to. Otherwise say otherwise than to claim this great eternal security, but it truly cannot be overthrown by the whims of man. We might even say it's a sad state if we that we would be in if God the Son, after he had died for our sins, could so easily allow us to perish in our sins and we think of it that way, if we could be lost, we would be lost. That's, that's the whole gist of the point. If we could be lost, if we could lose our salvation, we would lose our salvation because there is nothing in us that could confirm it. Only God himself can do such a thing. And that he has, he has done this Um, And so, um, in John chapter 5 and verse 24, it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. And also, again, in John 3:36, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. All true believers are not only safe and secure in their salvation because of Christ, but also because of the Father. And so this is not just Jesus saying this about himself. He's saying this about the Father as well. And so God affirms it. Well, uh, in summary then, what can we say on these matters? First of all, any who would hear the gospel must believe the gospel or they cannot be his sheep. Secondly, any who would be identified as his sheep must hear the voice of the shepherd. And then lastly, any who will be his sheep are safe in salvation as Jesus and the Father. Our God. If God can be overthrown, then we could be lost. But since God cannot be overthrown, we are eternally secure. Well, let's look to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Loving Father, we do thank you for your word to us this afternoon and of these great truths in the Scriptures. We ask for your blessing, Father, in Jesus' name. And we praise you for our salvation, that it is everlastingly and eternally secure in Christ and in God the Father. In Jesus' name, amen. For our closing hymn, number 85, one very familiar to us, Amazing Grace, number 85.